بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد الحمد لله here we are again in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at one of the most blessed times in the day in the Quran al-Fajr kana mashhuda and you can actually feel this during the Fajr prayer uh, and in addition to the blessing that's already there when they recite someone like Sheikh Ammar and the verses which are being recited are verses of one Najmi Ida Hawa and it's so relative to what we're discussing as well this just adds to the beauty of being present in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this blessed time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the people of Fajr um, so let's have a quick recap of what we discussed last week what lesson number was it? 11 and who can remind us inshallah um, it doesn't have to be everything we can take different ideas from different people um, but yeah whoever remembers anything would like to contribute inshallah have a recap of last week's lesson inshallah okay so alhamdulillah it's a good start so it was about the maulid okay maulid meaning the blessed birth of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam how can the how is the maulid connected to the to Masjid Al-Aqsa. <laughs> so at the time of the Blessed Mawlid, the mother of the Prophet saw a light that shone from her and it lit up the palaces of Asham, which includes, of course, Baytul Maqdis. So how's that connected to Masjid Al-Aqsa? Who can add anything else to that, inshallah? Anybody from this end? Feel free. Any, anybody wants to contribute. This is... We'd like to have everybody to have some input, inshallah. Whatever, whatever you remember or recall. Anything else on that? So, if, if it's quite clever how it's done. The Prophet wasallam. Now, now we've moved on and we're speaking about how the Prophet wasallam has connected Masjid Al-Aqsa to his personal self. This is a very personal thing. And the, the reason behind this is everybody loves the Prophet wasallam, And everybody loves that which is connected to the Prophet wasallam. So if you claim to love the Prophet ﷺ, if you claim to love everything that's attached to him, if you celebrate his blessed mawlid and rejoice, regardless in the way we display our love, but every Muslim rejoices, celebrates, is happy upon hearing and knowing regarding the mawlid of the Prophet ﷺ. So how can a person not be happy and rejoice at that event which took place at the blessed mawlid? And that is none other than the lighting up of Baytul Maqdis at that time. So this is a connection. One of the other points that we mentioned was 
that this was an indication ulama mentioned where the spread of the deen of Rasulullah sallallahu will be till in his lifetime from uh, Hijaz, Arabia, all the way to the lands of Baytul Maqdis. Anything we've missed out? I think that was the gist of it. And it's a very strong connection if you think about it. So they were going right even before the Prophet ﷺ is born or the time of his birth. Uh, so of course this happened way before the Mi'raj. Um, and what was the campaign? What did we ask everybody to do? So we said, go back and try and find out about other significant events that took place around the Mawlid of the Prophet ﷺ. So this was one of them. Anything else? So let, let's hear a few uh, suggestions, inshallah, of what you think happened at the time of the Mawlid. Okay, so we had the famous story of Abraha, which happened just before, isn't it? So he wasn't actually at the Mawlid itself, but he, was, he wasn't too far. And the whole idea of such significant events happening was to show that something great is about to happen. So we know about Abraha, how he came and he was about to demolish the Kaaba and then the, uh, the army of elephants and Allah sent the birds to destroy. So this is the story that's being referred to. The fire that was extinguished. The idols in Mecca got destroyed at the time. Did that happen at this time? They, rem they actually remain. No, the idols remained. Oh, I know what you're referring to. Oh, we'll come to that. So the idols didn't actually fall because, and that was, remember, that is one of the reasons the ulama mentioned Masjid al-Aqsa was the Qibla because the Kaaba was still surrounded by idols. The idols were only destroyed when in Fathu Makkah, when the Prophet ﷺ came on the conquest and he was holding the stick. And he recited the verses, And that is, um, But I, I know what you're referring to. We'll come to that as well. So the fire in Persia that had been burning for up to a thousand years, that became extinguished. And that was something that the fire worshippers ensured that it never goes out. And when that went out, they knew something great is about to happen. And uh, what brother... Ahmad is referring to is the the columns and the pillars of the palace the 14 of them uh, which fell again which indicated to a great event in Madain possibly in, again in Persia I think possibly um, wasn't it the palace of Kisra in Persia um, but yeah again it's something we can look at inshallah In, in Mecca? Possibly, possibly. I, I'm not 100% on that. Um, but that, that could possibly also, because there were similar events like that which took place, because Ahlul Kitab, again, they had, they were awaiting. That is something, all of the, 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 the Jews of Medina, why were they in Medina? This is interesting. How did, uh, Medina isn't a place where Jews lived. How did Jews end up in Medina, such a large amount of Jews? And then the Prophet ﷺ went and obviously they had dealings with them. There were certain issues that they had as well. And then some of them left there as well. The whole reason why they arrived there 
is in accordance to the previous scriptures, there was categoric detail that the last prophet of all times is going to come to this land. So they all come and settle there, awaiting the arrival of the final messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's just sad that when he did arrive, 99.9% uh, .9 or even more decided to not believe in him uh, because of jealousy and because of envy, because of hatred and all of these other things. But Quran says, When they would see him, they recognized him, that he was the prophet that was mentioned, just like a person would recognize their own child. When you see your own child, when you go to the school playground, you don't pick somebody else's kid up and come home, do you? Think, oh, this is mine today. You recognize your kid from a thousand kids. Quran says this is when they, when they saw him, they, they were in, there was no doubt. Other people came who, who weren't linked to any particular religion. And they, they weren't sure. Some people went to Abu Bakr who thought maybe he's a prophet of Allah. And it took some time for people to say, no, no, it's him. But when they, when the Ahlul Kitab, meaning the Yahud in particular, Quran says, يَعْرِفُونَهُ كَمَا يَعْرِفُونَ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ Just like there was no mix-up between recognizing your children, they knew him when they saw him because it was in their scriptures. So yes, these kind of incidents did happen at that time. Uh, anything else that happened around that time? Lake dried up. I think we're going toward the end, end of times now. Tabariya. Okay, that, that's going to happen at the end of times uh, when Yajuj and Majuj arrive. But yeah, th th there will be others. This is not an exhaustive list. There will be others. And I think this maybe will inspire us to go out and do some more, inshallah, research and some more reading, inshallah on this topic. The seerah is very, very important for every Muslim to learn and to know uh, and, and to read again and again. And every time you read, uh, you will learn something new. We all, we're all learning constantly. May Allah give us the tawfiq uh, to connect ourselves to this beautiful seerah of the Prophet So let's move on. Lesson number 12. Today's lesson, inshallah, not only did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam suffice on encouraging the Sahaba radiallahu anhum to take up residence in Baytul Maqdis towards the end of times, not only did he suffice on asking them to frequent it, rather he went a step further and he's taught us that a time is going to come that just looking at Baytul Maqdis, Masjid Al-Aqsa, is going to be so valuable that a person will be able to, will be willing to give the whole world and what it contains just for one glance at Masjid Al-Aqsa. And how do we learn this? It is a hadith. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, وَلَا That time is going to come أَنْ يَكُونَ لِلْرَجُلُ مِثْلُ شَطَنِ فَرَسِهِ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ that a person will have land equivalent to the rope of his horse. Now, a horse has rope about that big. It's not that big, is it? This is the rope of the horse, the reins. So the hadith is saying, a person will have that much land. That's it. And from that land, what will you be able to do? حَيْثُ yara minhu baytul maqdis. You'll be able to see Masjid al-Aqsa. That's it. See, not pray. 
says, this one site will be better than the whole world and what it contains. Today's lesson is regarding how Masjidul Aqsa was the coolness of the eye of the Prophet So this is one hadith we learn. He has said that a time is going to come, person will have land equivalent to the rope of the, his horse. From where a person will see Masjidul Aqsa, this seeing will be better than the whole world and what it contains. This prophecy of the Prophet we're witnessing today. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people, Palestinians in particular, who are willing to give up the whole world just to have one glance at Masjid Al-Aqsa. We're not talking about praying, let alone own land. The Prophet is saying that you'll have land equivalent to the, you know, owning land there, it's like an impossible thing now to own land. You've seen the stories of how people, their homes are being demolished, not allowed to extend or build anything. So let alone owning land. We've come to a time where just for that one site, it's more valuable and more rewarding than the whole world and what it contains. We're witnessing that. So that is one example. And then another example of this is the, the, the momentous occasion of the Mi'raj. What happens prior to Mi'raj? The Prophet ﷺ loses his most beloved wife, Khadija anha. He lost his greatest supporter, uh, Abu Talib, right? And these were like huge tragedies that the Prophet ﷺ faced. And it made him deeply saddened. Now what happens? One is losing his wife, one is losing his greatest supporter. The Quraysh increased their persecution. So they persecuted the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims much more, knowing very well that he doesn't have his supporter now, and he doesn't have his emotional support and his moral support. Both have gone. So they increased in persecution. As if that wasn't enough, the Prophet ﷺ faced the most challenging and difficult ordeal in his life at the hands of the mob of Ta'if. And he later on went on to say that that was the most difficult time of my life. And after going through such difficult, challenging and traumatizing events, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided to cool his eye by taking him away. So this Masjid al-Aqsa became the coolness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cooled the eye of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How? Number one, by seeing Masjid al-Aqsa. He wasn't from that land. He was from Al-Hijaz, from Medina Munawwara, from Makkah Al-Mukarrama at this time. So that wasn't his land. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him out of this situation. And first of all, he came to Masjid Al-Aqsa and he cooled his eye by seeing Masjid Al-Aqsa. Number two, he cooled his eye by seeing the gathering of all of the prophets inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Number three, uh, We just heard in the Salah. That why, did he, why was he taken to Masjid Al-Aqsa? Allah said, so that we can show him some of our great signs. So again, that Allah cooled his eye by seeing the great signs. Number four, Allah cooled his eye by him seeing Jibreel in his original form. Number six, Allah cooled his eye by showing him Jannah and Jahannam. And number seven, Allah cooled his eye on this occasion by the Prophet seeing Allah directly. 
So the, the, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made Masjidul Aqsa the coolness of the eye of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But it doesn't end there. It didn't stop there. What happened when the Prophet sallallahu came back from this night journey? He arrived to Mecca and what happened? What did the people of Mecca do? The people of Quraysh, you know, they asked him in regards to this journey which he was claiming to make and he said yes. He didn't even mention going to the heavens. He mentioned about going from Mecca to Palestine to Masjid Al-Aqsa as referred to as Baytul Maqdis at the time. So what did the Quraysh do? They quizzed him. They put him to the test. He says, I was standing in the Hatim, you know, the semicircle of the Kaaba. He says, I was standing in the Hatim, and the Quraysh came to me and they started quizzing me. And they started asking certain details about Masjid Al Aqsa. And the Prophet said, I told them whatever I remembered. But a lot of the finer details, he says, I couldn't recall. Now, this is interesting now. The hadith of Sahih Muslim mentions. Uh, فَلَقَدْ كُرِبْتُ كُرْبًا مَا كُرِبْتُ مِثْلَهُ قَدْتُ He says, on this occasion, when they asked me these questions, and I couldn't recall the finer details, thus wasn't able to answer them, he says, this was, I have, this was the most distressing moment of my life. I'm not saying this. This is the declaration of the Prophet Now think about it. Prior to this, he saw his family members, he, he, he saw them lose their lives. He saw Sahaba being martyred. He himself was persecuted. They had been through so many difficulties. Yet despite all of that and years and years of persecution, he's saying that all that on one side, but the distress I faced Standing in the Hatim, when they questioned me and quizzed me regarding details of Masjid Al-Aqsa, and I couldn't respond to them because I didn't recall all of the information. He says, that was, I have never felt so distressed ever before. Whose words are these? The Prophet Sallallahu himself is saying this. Now, when the Prophet Sallallahu was distressed the first time, what did Allah do? What did he show him? How did he cool his eye? By showing him Masjid Al-Aqsa. What happened here on this second time? He says, I was so distressed. I've never been that distressed ever before. He says, all of a sudden, al-Maqdis. I was standing in the Hatim and Allah showed me a vision of Masjid Al-Aqsa. He says, I looked towards Masjid Al-Aqsa. Of course, he cooled his eye. His distress went away. And according, in accordance to the vision I had, I began giving them the details. Yes, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And I was able to answer them. So we learned that the Prophet ﷺ, he planted the love of Masjid Al-Aqsa in the hearts of the Ummah by equating the vision of Masjid Al-Aqsa with the whole world and what it contains. One glance towards Masjid Al-Aqsa is better than the entire universe. This is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. So, Today's discussion was regarding how Masjid Al-Aqsa was the coolness of the eye of the Prophet What's this week's campaign? This week's campaign is quite interesting and it's quite practical as well. Uh, and, and this can be something ongoing. What we want everyone to do is create as many 
opportunities you can in your life to visualize Masjid Al-Aqsa. Because if it's, if it's not in your sight, if we don't talk about, well, you talk about things which you can generally see and hear about. And if you don't, then it's out of your mind as well. So we want to create multiple opportunities in our lives for us to visualize Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now, how are we going to do this? So I'm going to give a few suggestions. Again, it's not an exhaustive list. You're going to go back, inshallah, and throughout the week, you're going to work on this. Try to do this within your homes, within your lives, within your families, within your workplaces, within your vehicle, wherever you go and spend your time. And then next week, inshallah, we can take loads of ideas and we can learn from each other, inshallah, and then spread them out to everybody because everybody, we can all learn from everyone. So I'll just share a few that come to my mind and I'm sure I'll be able to learn many from yourselves next week, inshallah. So for example, a, a very simple thing to do is put up a canvas or a frame in your house somewhere that shows a picture of either the whole of Masjid Al-Aqsa or even the Dome of the Rock or part of Masjid Al-Aqsa. In, in a place where every single day you, your children, your family will pass by it, you'll see it, okay? That sight, okay, will remind you of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Just like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam cooled his eye, you can cool your eye. That's one option. Another thing you could do is, for example, there are certain people who relay the salah from Masjid Al-Aqsa. One of the, one of the, 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 the shall I call him, a, a scholar of Masjid Al-Aqsa is a guy called Khalid Al-Maghribi. He's changed his profile on Facebook in Arabic now. It used to be in English before. Khalid Maghribi. He, every Fajr, uh, Maghrib, Isha, Jummah, he streams live from his phone every single day, every salah. That's, that's one way for you to link. Maybe even if it's one salah or a Jum'ah a week, you're just watching live or even later on as a video recording. At least that is some way you're connecting yourself and you're seeing Masjid Al-Aqsa keeps the memory afresh. Um, so that's something you could do. Um, what else do you do every day? Maybe um, you use your keys, for example, get a key ring, you know, try and locate or make a key ring uh, that'll have maybe a picture of the Dome of the Rock or even that says Al-Aqsa or anything like that. People change their profiles, their screensavers, your background. Um, you, th there's, a, there's, there's a whole list of things that you could do. And I've just mentioned a few here. I'm sure you've already thought of so many different ways that every single day you can visualize Masjid Al-Aqsa. Create opportunities that it comes in front of you, it comes in front of your children. Anyone coming into your home, they see something that's related, that sparks this conversation. It gives you an opportunity, them an opportunity to remember Masjid Al-Aqsa. Generally within our homes, within our lives, we'll probably see the Kaaba at least once a day because it'll be maybe on a Quran, it'll be on a Musalla, it will be on the wall, it'll be on, in a children's book or somewhere you will come across it. Masjid Nabi will come across it regularly. But Masjid Al-Aqsa, we need to create more and more opportunities uh, and we need to be creative about this as well now. Okay, so that in accordance to everything else, at least on a daily basis, we are visualizing Masjid Al-Aqsa. Everybody will try and do this, inshallah. And next week, we can feed back and get some ideas. Jazakumullahu khaira. Now, inshallah, we give some time to recite the Quran.
Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Just a quick update. Um, again, it's impossible to cover everything that's happened. So I'm just going to mention two things, inshallah. Uh, one is very fresh, just from this morning, uh, a couple of hours ago when they had their Fajr Salah. So this is a common thing that's happening and it's happening more and more now. It's always happened for quite a significant amount of time. Uh, however, it's increased recently where Palestinians arriving to the masjid uh, at the gates, they're having their ID cards taken off them and then them give, being given a ticket in return. So this morning again, it's happened. And uh, the whole idea of this is to try and divide Masjid Al-Aqsa uh, in terms of time and space and the reason why this is being done is to try and uh, prevent Palestinians from entering at certain times to make it more difficult for them to enter uh, and to have these restrictions in place so that there are certain times where only Zionist people are entering and utilizing Masjid al-Aqsa and they've got certain areas and spaces where only they use. Now by confiscating their ID, what happens now is when Zionists will come inside Masjid al-Aqsa and if these Palestinians happen to be inside, they've got this element of control that if you were to do anything or go near them or say the takbir or try and, you know, scare them off, well, we've got your ID, you won't be getting it back. And an ID means everything to you over there. Without that card, you don't, it's like you don't exist. Uh, so these are different ploys, should I say, being implemented. And they've been implemented for a long time, but I think it's just on the increase at the moment. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, you've been hearing about the house demolitions, the home evictions, and how it's so difficult for Palestinians to, uh, let alone buy land, but even to build or to extend on properties that they already own for many, many years. But on one side, you, you're hearing all of this news. But what's happening in the background, I'm going to share with you, that between January and June, so this year, between January and June this year, 11,824 new colonizers, okay, settlers, arrived to Palestine. How many? More than 11,000. So these are people, Zionists, from different parts of the world. Okay, at a time when tourists are not allowed to enter since they, they, they've had the airport closed. They were going to open in May, then they said we'll open in July, then they said we'll open in August, and it's still not opened. So that is one country where tourists haven't been allowed to go at all uh, since the pandemic. Even now it's still closed. Uh, and there's so many restrictions on their own people as well. They've administered the third uh, booster job to thousands this week. And by the end of the week, they're hoping to give it to, you know, 1.5 million people. They're administering vaccination to children as well, uh, more than any other country in the world. So at a time when there's so many restrictions and it's closed and they've imposed so many more uh, regulations, and they could even go into a fourth lockdown uh, it's possible, right? At such a time, in the background, what's happening? In the background, like I said, from this, just this year alone, from January to June, 11,824 new 
settlers have arrived from different countries in the world, France, for example, America, for example, and they will be given free accommodation, free security, free education, free protection. Maybe they will kick out Palestinians from certain homes and house these settlers within those. Otherwise, they will be going into the illegal settlements that have been built on Palestinian lands. So that's just 11,000 between January and uh, June. 21st of July, 160 new French colonizers arrived in occupied Palestine. That was on the 21st of July, so very recent. On the 4th of August, which was literally days ago, 130 new French colonizers arrived into occupied Palestine. So this is just from France alone uh, in, over the last few days. They're expecting over a thousand colonizers just in this month of August to arrive. So when Palestinians are facing threats that their houses will be demolished and people are being evicted from their homes, uh, on, on the other side, this is what's happening. Uh, just from North America alone, in this year, 2021, they've got an estimate of 5,000 colonizers to arrive, just from North America alone, in this, in this whole year. Uh, and since the beginning of the pandemic, which was in March 2020, uh, there's been more than 18,000 colonizers that have arrived into occupied Palestine. So, just to, and, and, and these numbers are lower than what they normally are. Because, obviously, because of the pandemic, there are certain restrictions in place. If you go back and look at the figures for the previous years, they would have been higher. Maybe uh, last year wasn't as high as this year, but the years prior to that, um, you know, the numbers are increasing year in, year out. And so that's on one side. So from, Fran from France alone, from France alone, since the occupation, 1948 till now, there's 125,000 uh, French uh, colonizers who've come and settled there. Um, and a lot of them are quite young. So 20% are under the age of 18. So the, you know, there's, there's a lot of them that are quite young. They'll be a, a, around for much longer. So that's on one end. On the other end, according to UN and their official records, almost 800 Palestinians lost their homes in 2020. The official figure will be even higher. This is the UN report. Uh, and in this year, already in 2021, 556 Palestinians have been displaced and have lost their homes. So these are just some figures for us to understand that, um, you know, it, 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 how difficult things are. And even though you might not see on the news, people might not talk about it. But in the background, this is what's happening every single day. So all in all, there's 256 illegal settlements at the moment in occupied Palestine in which there's more than 700,000 illegal Israeli settlers living and occupying those areas. And as we all know, the settlements are illegal under international law 
despite that, uh, the expansion continues, the building continues, and the occupation continues. We make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, easy the situation. We mention these things so at least we can continue keeping the concern alive and the least we can do is make dua. May Allah give us a tawfiq. We'll do some dhikr and conclude with dua, inshallah. La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, Subhanallah 
والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله 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 العظيم استغفر الله 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 الله والله 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 
Keep them firm, O oh Allah. Grant them victory, O oh Allah. Help them against their opponents, O oh Allah. You become on their side, O oh Allah. You come to their rescue, O oh Allah. Muslims throughout the world, wherever they are being persecuted, have mercy upon their condition, O oh Allah. You aid them and assist them, O oh Allah. Protect their iman, O oh Allah. Protect our iman, O oh Allah. Protect the iman of our families, O oh Allah. Have mercy on our parents, O oh Allah. Look after our parents, O oh Allah. Those of our parents who've left the world, fill their graves with nur, O oh Allah. Become pleased with them, O oh Allah. Make the stages of the hereafter easy for them, O oh Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-ursaleen. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alayhi.